Welcome. You're listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. Media Talk 101 is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to teaching media discernment in the light of following Christ. Visit our website, mediatalk101.org, for helpful articles, videos, and other resources, including information about our documentary, Captivated, and information about our annual event, the Christian Worldview Film Festival. I'm your host, founder and director of Media Talk 101, Philip Telfer, and I'm back in the studio with my friend and co-host, co-worker, uh, Rhett Simpkins. Rhett, it's great to uh, be back on the podcast together. Yes, it is. It was, even, it was even better to see you recently. <laughs> yes, that's always nice. <laughs> the, and uh, so we, we had uh, the blessing of being traveling in the area and getting to see the Simpkins and spend some couple of evenings with you, sharing meals. And so that was great. I really, really enjoyed that. It wasn't, wasn't long enough. Mm-hmm. Would have wished we had more time. But this uh, week's podcast, we've got an assortment, kind of a smorgasbord of things that we'll be talking about. But I'll just start with some personal news. I'm, I was uh, explaining to you earlier, Rhett, about how I'm trying to get, uh, get out of vacation mode, which was, <laughs> which my family and I just went on vacation, and it was uh, a much needed vacation. It was an enjoyable vacation. We went to homeschool family camp in Iowa and really enjoyed ourselves. We This is the fifth year that we've attended, but this year was extra special because we got to meet, for the first time, one of our faithful podcast listeners, George Craig and his family. And so George and I have been corresponding via email uh, for many years, and then he had learned about the uh, Bontrager family who helps put on this camp, and they're a singing singing, traveling, evangelistic family, and they were doing a concert in Ohio where the Craigs live, and they uh, got to hear them sing, and then learned about the camp, and then we learned that they were coming to camp, so it was it was really a treat, and so just a shout out to, to George Craig and the rest of your family. They, uh, they, do, they live on a farm, and they do all sorts of neat things, including singing, so they sing as a family in harmony, something that my family cannot do. And in fact, to prove that point, I gave it another try. So uh, <laughs> this is, I thought, I was so inspired. Every year we're inspired at camp that uh, all these families that can get together and sing in harmony. So we decided, oh, and the Craig family, you know, they sing in harmony. They do great. So let's let's try something simple. So I downloaded some sheet music for the song Happy Birthday because it was my younger brother's birthday. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we could sing Happy Birthday to him and at least three points three-part harmony and so I got the music and we got Mary at the piano and we tried to work out the parts and let me tell you Rhett it was a disaster and after many many attempts and realizing that I don't know I guess some families just have it and some families don't but it ended up in uh, us wadding up our sheets of paper and throwing them at each other that was the most fun we had in the process of trying to sing in harmony but I digress Anyway, once again, shout out to uh, George Craig and his family. Also, uh, our some podcast listeners, Jeremy and Tammy Crisp, that are faithful listeners. They sent us an email letting us know that they're enjoying the podcasts, and uh, we appreciate that. So we have at least uh, at least two podcast listeners out there. 
And we've heard we've heard from some others, and so I'm going to turn it over to you, Rhett, because we always appreciate when our podcast listeners and friends and family or anybody says, "Oh, you know, Philip and Rhett, they're interested in all these things in media, and and I just came across this article or this video, and I'd like to send it to them." And so people do that, and I always appreciate that. So, what have we? What has come into the inbox this last month, Rhett? Well, a few different things. Um, one was interesting, kind of a short article, but it was talking about how um, by the year 2020, uh, it's expected that we're going to have over 6 billion smartphones in use around the globe. Now, wait a minute. I mean, what, what's the, uh, what, what, how many people are on the planet right now? I, I think it's about 6.5 billion, maybe 7 billion. Okay, so either everybody's going to have a smartphone or half of half of the population is going to have two smartphones, one in each pocket, I guess. <laughs> Possibly. So, wow. So uh, what else did you learn from that article? Well, it's interesting because, you know, always, it's always crazy trying to wrap your mind around large numbers. And last podcast, we talked about, you know, zettabytes and how big that is, but... Um, you know, six billion smartphones is, it's crazy to think about how many that is. Um, right now, the article said that, uh, that there are about two billion uh, mobile devices in active use. And that's not including, I mean, that's uh, including phones that aren't smartphones. And so that's going to be quite a leap, you know, from two billion cell phones to over six billion smartphones. And they said that the the reason that that's going to jump so quickly is because the global market is expanding into emerging countries where right now they don't have the infrastructure for cell phones, but that's quickly coming. Wow. You know, and one of the things about that, when I was in India in 2009, it was amazing how many people, as, as impoverished as that country is, at least there's a high ratio of impoverishment to you know there are certainly what there's certainly wealth in india but it's very lopsided and yet you know even in these impoverished areas there were a lot of people with with cell phones but they were not smartphones they're more like pay as you go mm-hmm. track phones but i'm guessing that that same concept is is probably going toward the smartphones as well kind of a pay as you go that's just a, a guess i don't know mm-hmm. I know that here, everybody wants the latest and greatest, so, you know, they have these new trade-in, you know, if you want to trade in your old iPhone uh, for the new iPhone 6, maybe they're shipping those to these other countries. I don't know. But I said years ago, in fact, I wrote about this in my book, What Wouldn't Jesus Do?, about discontentment and how when it comes to gadgets and devices like the like the iPhone, as soon as you buy it, you know, so the people that are rushing out right now uh, trading in their old phones, forking over cash for new phones to get the latest, greatest iPhone. I've, you know, Apple is already developing another thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're they're already they're already in the works of of making something that will outdo the iPhone six, and because they only want you to be content with that for a window of time because they want to sell you another device. And it's not just Apple. It's, it's just the way marketing goes in these companies. 
they've they want to create uh, discontent uh, to sell more product and that's one of the things that we we all struggle with in varying degrees so I'm content with my iPhone 4s look at how old school that is Rhett. Oh, wow. an iPhone 4 not even an iPhone 5 an iPhone 4s <laughs> oh it's it's uh, ancient <laughs> so now on the positive side let's you know we don't want to always be uh, looking at the a negative side this brings to my mind something that I learned uh, maybe a, year, a couple of years ago it may not have been that long ago but I had met someone in Chicago that invited me to a meeting that was hosted by Global Media Outreach and you can learn more about them at globalmediaoutreach.com and they're using a cell phone the, the the fact that cell phones are connecting to the internet and these new technologies to reach out to these other countries in areas where it might otherwise be very difficult to connect with non-christians in these other countries and they're very creative in the way they do this you know they're they create multiple websites and articles and 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 things that people would be interested in and i believe even uh the point of of getting ads you know that pop up on these these uh, pay-as-you-go phones anything to try to get people's interest and they're there it's amazing so you can go to their website and learn more about them and and see how uh, God has given a group of people a vision for using utilizing this new technology to to make inroads for the gospel and so that's it that's exciting so even as this this spread continues uh, I believe that we ought to do all that we can uh, to spread that gospel, and that's one more that's one more broadcast uh, medium today is mm-hmm. is through that. So, anything else in that article, or there was uh, I know that there was some other articles as well. Yeah, um, and I guess just in this article, it does talk about you know the uh, the improvement of living standards where smartphones are coming into use in emerging countries and other places just because it gives you the opportunity to uh, grow economy by entrepreneurship and uh, other things like that. So there certainly is a positive, but you know, always being careful of the fact that there are negatives as well. Yeah, for entrepreneurial efforts, that's it's great. Things like PayPal and Square and other mobile device card readers now for making transactions over mm-hmm. your over your smartphone or or a tablet that's something that we use even at media talk 101 um, at events on occasion and it's very convenient so that's yeah so there are I could see how that's the case and but on the other side what some of the concerns as we have a culture that continues its infatuation with smartphones and being glued to them all the time one of the things I'd like to talk about maybe later on in this podcast after we deal with some of these other articles to come back to this subject and just talk about how the culture's changing how that might affect uh, outreach and how we're how we're engaging other people and also as a Christian how we uh, how we handle things how we handle these devices ourselves and this is something we've talked a lot about but uh, later on the podcast, I'd like to bring up a, a class my daughter and I were attending uh, just last night and kind of provoke some thoughts within the class and in my mind. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, 
tell us about some other things in the news that we've heard about this month. Okay. Uh, another email that we got was a, had a link in it to um, an article from financialpost.com. And the, the title of the article is Low Tech Parents, Why Steve Jobs Wouldn't Let His Children Touch an iPad or Other Digital Gadgets. So wow. did, you, did you have an opportunity yes. to read that one? You know, I did, because that one was so intriguing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'd love to hear what you thought about it. Oh, man, I, I thought it was interesting, too, because um, the guy who interviewed or he, he speaks in this article about interviewing Steve Jobs over the years and how he asked Steve the question, so your kids must love the iPad. And uh, Steve, his response was, they haven't used it. And he said, we limit how much technology our kids use at home. And I that shocked me because I guess uh, I assumed, you know, a tech giant like that, you know, they would have... Uh, smartphones all over the place and and it seems that the uh, the journalist who wrote this article he had the same reaction he was dumbfounded I if I recall it's been a while since I read that article but but um, coming to mind I, I did they did they have some other statistics or or maybe some statements about other uh, successful uh, tech industry people who also had a similar approach, understanding that, hey, we want our children not to just be glued all the time to screens. We want mm-hmm. them to be developing uh, real skills <laughs> that's going to help them in the future. I, I can't, I don't remember whether whether there was some statistics on that or not, but it, it's interesting that over the years, I know that, that when I first began speaking uh, with another organization when I first began talking about media and we were dealing mostly with content the the big thing and this is going back 10 years ago the big thing then was the reality that people like artists like musicians like Madonna you know didn't allow her children to watch television because of its negative influence mm-hmm. and another one was uh, the the rapper Eminem who would edit his music for his child to listen to, hmm. but yet everybody else's child, you know, or parents that were not being discerning were being accosted with his music. But he he knew that, wow, I don't want my own child to listen to the stuff that I'm producing that other children are listening to. So sometimes, it, in that case, outright hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. In the case of in the case of Steve Jobs. And other tech giants who who realize that these are powerful tools and are not necessarily uh, the best thing to have in the hands of, of children in this uh, in that time of their life. Mm-hmm. There's other other more important things. So you probably have a the, the article's probably more fresh in your mind. Yeah, actually, if you want, I can read. There are a couple other uh, quotes from other people in the tech industry who uh, have similar things to say. Oh, that'd be great. So um, Chris Anderson, the former editor of Wired and now the chief executive of 3D Robotics, uh, which makes drone drones, um, he said this. He said, My kids accuse me and my wife of being fascists and overly concerned about tech, and they say that none of their friends have the same rules. 
He said this of his five children who are ages 6 to 17. He's, he goes on to say, That's because we've seen the dangers of technology firsthand. I've seen it myself. I don't want to see that happen to my kids. Wow. Alex Constantinople, the chief executive of Outcast Agency, a tech-focused communications and marketing firm, said her youngest son, who is five, is never allowed to use gadgets during the week, and her older children, 10 to 13 years old, are allowed only 30 minutes a day on school nights. So there's limits there, and you know certainly people in that can see the issues, and, and they want to put those limitations for a reason. Yes. And once again, in our documentary, Captivated, we feature Shepherd's Hill Academy, which is a, a school a residency uh, program for troubled teens. And they come in with, with a lot of issues, but one of the things that they learn first off is that they don't get to use any media, and that's for a one-year program. And yet, uh, many of them testify in the documentary about how that was so beneficial mm-hmm. to them. And, and the camp counselors testify about how they see a, a, a change after they, they kind of go through their, their media detox. And then Dr. Jeff Myers also shares a story about a group of, of young men in a Christian school who were all having behavioral problems and diagnosed with various things like ADD, ADHD, bipolar. And they were encouraged by the, the school administrator to, uh, the parents were encouraged to limit their their media use to a half hour a week, if I remember right, and uh, make sure that they got to bed at a at a decent hour and got outside to play and ate three good meals a day and they were simple things, but that all of these cases the um, the boys normalized, you know, and it was beneficial to them and they and there was a change that was manifested in a in a positive way. And part of that was, you know, I think a big part of that was limiting media. And so we're not saying, you know, they, they weren't saying no media. In that case, it was half hour per week. And that's that's very limited. But uh, sometimes uh, in desperation, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And if you're seeing behaviors that are not good and you think they might be coming from the overuse of media, then deal with the issue you know and and so we always encourage parents to do that to be the parent and uh, to set those uh, guidelines in the home and guess what (laughs) I mean your kids are going to realize that the guidelines in your home are not the same as as most I mean there there are very few guidelines in the home you know when uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation did research years ago and they found that this is this is the research that that came out that demonstrated that the teenagers were spending on average uh, seven and a half hours per day consuming mm. media and that was almost 11 hours when you count media multitasking but in that same study they discovered that only uh, was it do you remember Rhett? is it seven out of ten or eight out of ten uh, children between ages eight and 18 don't have any rules mm-hmm. in their home regarding the use of media. I'm I'm thinking it was eight out of ten, but it I might think have been you're right. Eight out of ten. So so eight out of ten uh, young people ages eight to eighteen no rules in the home about the about media consumption. So that's going to be 
that's just what we're facing. And so as a parent, and, and myself as a parent, that have set much stricter regulations in our home than most people around us, and many people even within uh, the Christian community. We, uh, you know, we just have to help our children understand that we, we do this because we, uh, we love them. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're, we want that we want them to uh, have this time under our oversight to be trained and to be equipped uh, for the life that they're facing. And it is a it is a, a tech saturated world, and we want to teach them how to carefully use technology and carefully consume media. And this is a very impressionable time in their lives, so we need to continue doing that you know also in the news uh i've got i got this uh link sent from our faithful podcast listener john clay and uh thank you john clay for being faithful to send us these links and one of them was uh, first of all he said he's really enjoying the podcast so thanks shout out to john clay burnett and he uh sent me this article that i had i had seen this in the news but it was helpful to have this link to remind me that Microsoft recently bought Minecraft for $2.5 billion. Wow. $2.5 billion. They expect to make back their $2.5 billion uh, by July of 2015. And uh, so they're seeing this as, you know, we, we don't need to talk about Minecraft again. We did that in the previous episode but it's it's huge, and obviously to get the attention of of Microsoft. Now, uh, in this in this article, they they quote the game developer who says it's not about the money, it's about my sanity. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason he says that is because this has become so huge. It's not only a huge time sink for those who get engaged with the game, but it sounds like it's been a huge headache uh, for the developer uh, because of its growth and demands. Wow. So I'm not exactly sure. I, I guess I'll take him at his word that it's not about the money, but $2.5 billion yeah, is a I'm lot. I'm sure that was a little bit persuasive. Yeah, it's not like he's giving it away. Oh yes, please take this off my hands. I'm so overwhelmed. Yeah, this is this is just this. I'm losing sleep over this. Please, I'll pay you to take it from me. Oh, 2.5 billion. Oh, I guess that's that sounds fair. All right. So, anything else in the news? Yeah. So there was one more article, and uh, this one I, I thought was interesting because I just heard about this on the radio last night. And uh, it is about the musical The Lion King, and it has now become the top show of all time, topping all box office ticket sales with a worldwide um, gross of over $6.2 billion. And wow. it has, yeah, it has achieved uh, the most successful box office total of any work in media in entertainment history. That's amazing because I mean we're talking it it's beat out all the top grossing films right mm-hmm. yeah it's beat out um, the the movie The Lion King of course any single Harry Potter film Titanic any of the Star Wars movies um, it says here that uh, by way of comparison the highest grossing film in history is Avatar 
and that only had nearly $2.8 billion worldwide. Oh, oh only $2.8 billion. <laughs> but in comparison... <laughs> yes. Well, no, that's that's huge, you yeah. know, and it's, and it's a musical. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I just thought this was interesting because, you know, we're, we're usually, and, and this isn't, it's, it's just more, I guess, fodder for our podcast here because uh, what I just thought it was significant because a musical just seems a little low tech in this high tech world, but in the area of arts and entertainment, Obviously, it uh, strikes a chord. And as, as I was reading a little bit about this, I mean, I don't have an interest in, in seeing uh, the Lion King musical, but uh, I hear it's a family-friendly thing, and that's probably what has helped it become so popular over all the you know over these many years. It's a Disney production, and uh, based off of the popular cartoon. And obviously, we, I don't want to launch into a whole talk on Disney productions and cartoons. We could do that, and I hope to do that someday. In fact, I hope to develop a whole talk on the, uh, the, the dangerous messages in, in children's films, especially cartoons. But nevertheless, I just thought this was an interesting article because there's so many people clamoring to make the you know, the next best film and all these special effects. And, and yet there's still an appeal to to live performance. And this is something that I've, I've pondered quite a bit over the years and how mass media, mass digital electronic media has, has really hurt a, a lot of things, but especially performance. You know, when it used to be that if you wanted to hear special music, you would go hear someone performing that music, and you'd hear hear it live. You know, that is not as um, important anymore because you you can just download the song. But likewise, prior to film, you know, there was theater, and that goes that's ancient. It's uh, so going all the way back to the time of, of the Greek uh, Greeks and, and possibly even uh, earlier than that. We know that even in uh, Scripture, God used the prophets to be somewhat theatrical at times. Ezekiel was one of them, uh, was especially uh, called by God to portray certain things, messages, uh, through acting them out. And one of my favorites, by the way, because I, I read it recently, in reading through the Bible in 101 days, and a little update on that. I'm two days behind right now, Rhett. Uh (laughs) So that was partly because of vacation and family camp. I continued reading my Bible, but I just, uh, I got a little behind. So I'm hoping to catch up this week. But I did finish the Old Testament uh, yesterday. But reading through Ezekiel, one of the the interesting stories as God was calling Ezekiel to act things out, and it was really in regard to judgment that was coming upon Ezekiel, uh, Israel, particularly Judah, uh, because in Jerusalem, because of their waywardness, and one of the things God had him act out was to go out and post a sign, uh, pointing to uh, pointing the Babylonians to Jerusalem, <laughs> you know, like this way, don't miss them. This, you know, because God was raising up uh, the Babylonians to bring about discipline uh, to Israel. And God was using that nation to uh, subdue and to take into captivity 
the uh, the Israelites, and once again, in particular, those that were in uh, Jerusalem. And that, that was one of many stories that in the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel's kind of our, our token, our uh, a theatrical uh, ministry that is shown. And, and certainly, I don't want to make any comparisons with that to Lion King, except that the idea uh, has been around for a very long time, and it's and it has been uh, corrupted, and so there are there's just as there's corrupt movies, there's also corrupt uh, theatrical productions. They and they have been. We have on our website an article which uh, has the sermon by Tertullian on the subject of the theater as well as the games, and that's an interesting read. You know, so if you want to hear what Media Talk 101 sounded like in the third century, <laughs> you know, you can go uh, read what Tertullian had to say about the, the theater and and the games. So we know that it's been around for a long time. It has times of corruption, but in this case, you know, this, this Disney uh, production, which is probably mellower than most, is top dog. So there you have it. That's probably didn't do much to edify you, or <laughs> you know, I'm. I just thought it was interesting, you know. As we, um, I want to be careful, Rhett, as we do this podcast, that we don't just, you know, make podcasts for the sake of making podcasts. Mm-hmm. My uh, son and I were recently on a website that was is dedicated to helping people like my son and I learn how to make uh, RC airplanes, <laughs> and they have a regular. Uh, podcast and they make videos and and I could even see in in some of their productions sometimes just stretching for something <laughs> like what are we gonna do this week we got to do something this week and uh, and so sometimes it gets into the ridiculous so they have created uh, planes that you know they want flying toolboxes and and the the most ridiculous one we saw was uh, for a Thanksgiving Day podcast they built a plane big enough to fly a turkey around a 10 pound turkey <laughs> so we don't want flying turkeys in our podcast no. we want we want some substance so let's let's talk about some substance here and a, a couple more announcements if there are any podcast listeners in the Dallas Texas uh, area just let you know I'll be speaking at the CMA conference in October the dates are October 17th and 18th, and you can uh, learn more about that through the Christian Media Association website, christianmedia.org, and we are a sponsor of the CMA conference, and I'm also a speaker. will be speaking, I think, four or five times over the course of two days on the subject of media discernment. So I'll be giving my talk, uh, Media Choices, Convictions, or Compromise. I'll also be giving the talk uh, about the counterfeit life. And also one more talk on filmmaking, Christian filmmaking, and in this era of American idolatry, a talk that I shared at our film festival earlier this year. So if you're in the in the Dallas, Texas area, you can look that up and, and sign up and come to the CMA conference. We'd be glad to to see you then. Okay, so let's... Um, Rhett, I t- said well, I wanted to come back to the subject of how, how media, things like smartphones, and how that's affected 
not only our culture, but in particular, the uh, our potential of, of outreach, you know, and connecting with people in this world. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is my daughter, Elizabeth, and I just started taking some classes uh, through the Living Water School of Ministry. The Living Water School of Ministry was a, a, a local, some local Bible classes that I helped launch uh, several years ago through our church. I was uh, the, one of the main teachers there, but uh, one of our other teachers was Dr. Daryl Rodriguez from Love of Truth Ministries. He has his uh, doctorate in apologetics, and he uh, previously taught two wonderful classes, one on uh, classical apologetics and sharing your faith, and also a class on mastering what he calls mastering the Bible, which is a, a combination of uh, hermeneutics and Bible study methods and, and better understanding how to, st- how to study the Bible and, and teach the Bible. And so he, uh, we've, we've encouraged him and we're glad that uh, this year we were able to get the School of Ministry up and running again. And so my daughter Elizabeth and I signed up because I wanted to retake these two classes. And in the introduction to the class on apologetics, uh, Dr. Darrell brought up this question about what, what were some hindrances to sharing our faith with people today? And there were many people, many students in the class who brought up media, mm. how media has become a, a hindrance. And so we, this inspired some, you know, some conversation in the classroom about how that, how that is. And it ranged from just misinformation that people have. You know, it could be anything from things they read on the web to documentaries that might be produced by, you know, people that are not necessarily favorable to Christianity or, you know, portraying things about the Bible that are not necessarily true. Uh, people or books, popular books that have been written, like the Da Vinci Code, you know, years ago, that had a huge imp- negative impact on the on the undiscerning unbeliever because they they took the things in that book at at face value, and not as fiction. And so there's there's some examples, but the but the other uh, side of it is that we are we have a culture that even though we are so connected are very disconnected out in public, you know, and, and one of the examples that was brought up in class within in other countries, when you might go to a market, you're going to interact with, with people, <laughs> you know, and now we go to the store. Now it might be different where you live, Brett, because you're in a small town, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, generally when you go to a store in a metropolitan area, you know, they, they might ask that question that they have to ask you, did you find everything you need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, you swipe your card, and then your groceries get bagged, and you you don't really interact with with anybody. We have this culture that that has emerged where everybody lives in their bubble, and everybody's on their phone all the time, and that has really made it difficult at times to to interact with people publicly. We we don't live in a culture now where you just you see people out on their front porches, and uh, people regularly interacting. We, we also have a very disjointed culture where you might work in one town and live in another town and go to church in another town, and you're not really, uh, there's no, no sense of community. And, you know, part of this is due to media. Part of it has 
been a long uh, sweeping change, uh, a wide sweeping change from the days of the Industrial Revolution. But uh, how about yourself, Red? Have you have you encountered that? Have you found that it's more difficult in this digital age? I know that you you're uh, you're Generation Y, so you've you've kind of grown up in the digital age. But I know that you're also a person who has been very careful to to uh, be be careful, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so you're you're much more aware. So so what are some of the things that you've observed? Well, yeah, I don't know how you couldn't live in this culture without seeing things like that unless you're just totally you, unless you're one of the people that's so glued to your phone that you just don't see what's around you but yeah all the things that you're saying I've seen um, you know and, and when it comes to interacting with people to a point where you're uh, actively pursuing um, a relationship with them and trying to be intentional with sharing the gospel it is a hindrance because you can't even have those initial conversations. Um, you, it's hard to even talk about the weather, let alone the gospel sometimes. And it's interesting because when I uh, go out and interact with people publicly, you know, it is hard, but I found that it's sometimes even more difficult to interact with people within my own family and sphere of friends because when we get together, oftentimes people are in their little bubble. And so you can't move beyond those basic conversations toward more spiritual things at many times. Yes. And boy, the other, the other hindrance in this, uh, modern societies, these modern societies that we live in today, especially here in Texas, you know, people go from their air conditioned car, (laughs) you know, and make a beeline for the air conditioned grocery store get the things that they need, zip out, pay with their credit card, get back in their car, uh, go through their gated community, you know, park in their garage, and then they live in the house, generally in front of a television um, or in front of the computer. And there's just not a lot of, of interaction happening. And I, I believe that ultimately people, even though they think they're more connected, are, are lonely you know, and becoming more lonely. So we, we can't give up. We can't give up trying to engage people, even though it may, may shock them. One of the students in the class said something so funny. Uh, they said that people don't know what to do with their faces. <laughs> you know, if you look them in the eye, oh. they, 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 they dip their face down, you know, and they want to avoid you. They don't want to look at you. Uh, don't look at me. And uh, I just thought that was a funny statement. People don't know what to do with their faces. And uh, that's something worth pondering more. But I, that's one of the things I loved when I took my trip to India was that even though there was, there were, you, you saw a lot of people with cell phones, there were, there were still a lot of people in a, in a culture there where they're, they're just interacting with one another and they love to interact with people. And one of the, the most amazing uh, store, well, there were so many amazing stories, but one of the, one of the things that really, caught my attention was when we were going into this little fishing village and so you know we're foreigners so we stand out and I'm tall so I stand out and and we were going through this little village this rustic little fishing village and you know there was a market and just people everywhere hustling and bustling and and we're we're kind of weaving our way through a crowd of people and all of a sudden a group of of teenagers come 
and they're they're just chatting and talking to me. Of course, I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> you know, they're speaking in Bengali, and I I was confused. You know, so I had to grab one of the uh, one of the pastors that were local and and bring him over and said, "Can you help me? I mean, all these all these young guys are talking to me, and I don't know what they're saying." And he listened to him for a while, and he smiled real big, and he said, "Oh, he says, well, they're they're saying." That um, they're glad that you've come to their village and they're, they're and you're welcome here, <laughs> you know. And they're and I thought I can't imagine any teenager in the U.S. who would even be uh, paying enough attention to recognize that someone was a foreigner, and and then go out of their way to go and welcome them to their, <laughs> you know, to their town. Uh, it's such a such a such a difference but we 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 have what we have and and this is the generation that God has allowed us to live in and we are we are responsible as Christians to to reach this generation mm-hmm. and to to say well you know what I wish our culture was different than it is but it's not and so looking and seeing what it is we need help from God's spirit, we need to ask the Lord for help to to reach this generation and to be able to engage them. And over the over the years, as we've as a church make it a practice to go downtown to the uh, Alamo, where there are literally millions of visitors every year, uh, it's just a great place to go interact with people. And and what I found is is that you know you might have to take the initiative, but but when you take the initiative to engage people once in a while. There are people who are very put off, like, "Hey, don't bother me." You know, what are you doing? You're you're invading my space. But but what I found is is usually the more approachable ones are young people. You know, I I'll, I'll find the you know or I've I've talked with with groups of people that were were um, doing parkour. I've talked to uh, skateboarders, freestyle bikers, even learned about turfing. <laughs> you know, we saw we were I saw this guy and he had a he had some music playing on his beatbox and he was doing something that looked uh not quite like breakdancing and not quite like you know it it looked strange and I said well I just approached him and said what are you what are you doing he says turfing and I'm like wow and he, and he explained that he was doing new school turfing but that you know just showing an interest in people uh is is helpful to to engage them and to interact with them and and, uh, and I had an opportunity to to share the gospel with them, and you know once I I just saw a, a lonely skateboarder just sitting down on the curb, you know, with nobody around him, and I thought, well, you know, maybe he wouldn't mind someone sitting down with him and talking with him, and that was exactly the case. He didn't he didn't it didn't bother him at all. So so one side of it is we do have a culture that is is are glued to their phones. They're glued to their TVs in their home, and it's going to be harder to interact with them. But on the other hand, uh, because there's not a lot of interaction, that also may provide a, a hopeful opportunity for you and I to to actually engage people in conversation and have them go, "Wow, this is this is interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little uncomfortable. I, I'm not used to this, but you know, there's something that feels very right about." talking with people <laughs> and even if they're strangers and I've probably talked about this on the on the podcast before but I'll I'll make reference it 
to it again, and I'm going to uh, once again have to dis- give a disclaimer that anytime I, I mention a particular movie or show, it's not because I'm necessarily endorsing it, but uh, but I do want to, I, I have written an article about this and made mention of it before, and and that's the Pixar film WALL-E, and I'm not here to say this is the a great film or the best film or... I, but when when the film came out on DVD, it was, it was one I sat down and watched. And though it has it has its issues, one of the things that intrigued me was this whole story of a robot who is more personal than the people. Yeah. And the people have become so uh, media saturated, and they and they live their lives in front of screens, and they don't interact with one another. And and I thought the writers of the story did a good job kind of uh, forecasting where we're going as a culture. And so there was a real there was a real paradox that was presented with the inanimate robot, you know, which obviously in a cartoon they give it character and a personality. But but it has more personality than the people. And as it begins to as Wally begins to interact with people, they begin to awaken to this idea of interaction and and personal interaction. And it's really, uh, it's really interesting how it unfolds. And I believe, likewise, that we are, are certainly heading in that direction as a culture. And, and that shouldn't scare us away from engaging people, uh, especially in regard to, to sharing the gospel with them. And, and you can just put it in practice and just being friendly and, and getting in the practice of talking to people you know, out in public. And it'll shock them because nobody's used to it anymore. So any closing thoughts, Rhett, before we wrap this episode up? Well, I do. you did remind me of something that I'm going to be starting soon. And that is uh, there's a young man in our town. And uh, he, just like what you've kind of been saying, people are looking for those relationships. And although oftentimes we... Uh, you know, people seem like they're so busy and, and uh, so involved with media and things that they don't have time for real relationships. I think people really are desiring to have those close connections. And this one young man uh, has come to our prayer group a couple times in the past few weeks. And now uh, he approached me and he wanted me to help him with some homework that he had for a, a math class. And I'm not very good at math, but I said, sure, I'll try to help you out. And what came from that is a beginning of a relationship where now, um, you know, he's really interested in spiritual things and he wants somebody to mentor him. And so uh, we're going to begin meeting on a regular basis to go through a book of the Bible and to begin teaching him. But it was just so interesting to me to see, it was kind of rare because we don't see a lot of that where people are longing for relationships, but I think really it's deep down it's there. And if we take the opportunity when it uh, arises and say, yeah, I'm, I am willing to pour into you, um, then I think that's going to benefit not only ourselves, but that person and all of our society. And so we need to be willing when people are there and they're not <laughs> glued to a phone to make and take opportunity to interact with them. You've been listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. Visit mediatalk101.org for helpful articles, videos, and other resources. Click on the audio tab to get a free download of Philip's audiobook, What Wouldn't Jesus Do? Media Choices in the Light of Following Christ, 
And if you haven't seen our award-winning documentary, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture, be sure to order your copy today. Parents Television Council calls it deft and powerful, and numerous moms, dads, and pastors say it's a must-watch for every Christian family and church. If you have a question or a topic you would like to have discussed on this program, please send an email to podcast at mediatalk101.org.